All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of Build Show Podcast. That's right. This is my weekly time to get together with you guys and go deep. You know, video times are great, but you can only watch so long of a video. On the other hand, on your commute to work to those remote job sites, you might have 30, 45 minutes, and that's where I can jump in your ear along with some really smart guests like we happen to have today, Steve Basic. And we got a great topic. This is near and dear to my heart and certainly to Steve's as well. We're talking building science today. And we're, we're in effect going to boil down uh, all of building science to a 30-minute 101. Not an easy, way to, not an easy thing to uh, do in a podcast. But I think Steve and I are going to give you, mainly Steve, some really, really good information. And I would tell you, whether you're a veteran uh, of building science, whether you've gone to every uh, seminar session, whether you've seen Steve and Peter live or not, this is going to be valuable for you. And I always love going back to basics, and that's what we're going to do today. Today's Build Show with guest Steve Basic, all about building science basics from the Rockwell Studios in Austin, Texas. Let's get going. All right, Steve Basic, how are you today, my friend? Always doing good, buddy. Always a pleasure to come on and chat with you. Sure glad to have you. So for those of you who don't know Steve, you've been living under a rock. Uh, but Steve <laughs> is a licensed uh, architect. Uh, he's been in the building business and architecture world for a couple of decades, probably three decades now, right? Steve? Yeah, closing in on three, yeah. Um, but more than that, Steve is one of those rare people that is a natural teacher uh, and really, really gets not just architecture, but really more than that, the holistic, the master build. I, I, I liken you, Steve, to more like a master builder than really an architect, the, the really yep. the orchestrator who understands everything that comes together. And uh, and Steve, by the way, is up in Massachusetts. He's zooming in on the uh, on the call today. Um, but Steve, this topic of building science, let's start with defining it how do you define the term building science yeah i mean it's it's basically the science of building but you you know what i find really interesting is that some people think that oh okay i i've been a builder for five years i need to get on this building science um game plan and i need to start applying building science to my projects but the reality for any builder any architect any manufacturer you've been applying building science to what you're doing already. Mm -hmm. Now you might not be acknowledging it. You might not be caring about it. You might not be using it to your advantage, but science is, you know, it's the collaboration of art and, and science building is right. It's building science mixed with some aesthetics and voila, you got a building. Yeah, no doubt, Steve. And I would say that, uh, the definition of building science, and actually I, I should have keyed it up. I have it from a bunch of presentations. I have this old school definition. I'm not sure who came up with it. Uh, but building science to me uh, is ultimately understanding how the building reacts over time to all the things around the building, whether that's physics, whether that's gravity, whether that's weather conditions, occupants. How is that building uh, going to last to survive? How is it going to be the aquarium that you swim in as the fish uh, that occupies the building? And then ultimately, how do we apply that to make sure that we uh, have buildings that are durable, uh, 
that are sustainable, that are lasting, that are efficient, uh, and that don't have failures in all the different failure methods. So with that being said, uh, talk to me about uh, the things that we need to think about when it comes to building science in terms of location uh, specifics. Is, is building a house in uh, Boston the same as building a house in Texas or Missouri or these other places? So it, it's arguable that it is. There's some variables that change, like temperature. Um, up here, we get snow, although you do get some snow there. We get yeah. it different. And, yeah. you know, Minnesota gets it different than we do. But if we use Boston as an example, we have, you know, pretty much the same winters as, say, Detroit, Minnesota, and Montana. But we have a summer that's like Miami or New Orleans in August here. So we, you know, we have to apply our knowledge, our building science knowledge to handle all of those variables. Um, you know, some places like Austin or say New Orleans, their spectrum of um, climate, um, their climate spectrum is far narrower than some places like up north, right? Yep. We, we have yep. a pretty wide one here in Boston. So, you know, someone from here, it's, it's pretty easy to go somewhere else someone that an architect that designs in new orleans he might have a problem going to northern maine and designing a building that's right because climate zones are very very different and the way you build and react to that might be very different but to your point you can build a pretty similar house in multiple climate zones as long as you understand and get the building science details right by the way i found my definition i should have had it sooner but the definition that I grabbed years ago that I use in a bunch of my slides is actually a Wikipedia definition. So I have no idea where this came from, but I, but I actually like it. Building science is the collection of scientific knowledge and experience that focuses on the analysis, analysis and control of the physical phenomena affecting buildings and architecture. But then part two of the definition is the practical purpose of building science is to provide predictive capability to optimize the building performance of new and existing buildings, to understand or present, to understand or prevent building failures, and guide the design of new techniques, new technologies, and new buildings. And I like this definition because it's like, look, there's science, yes, but there's also experience, and that's one yeah. of the things I love about you, Steve, is that you, now that you've had three decades in the field, I'm coming up on that. I'm 25 years in the building business. I've seen a lot of failures, and I learn as much from my failures and my mistakes and others' failures and mistakes about building science than I do just going out and building new homes. And when I worked for a, a national production builder for my first seven years uh, right out of uh, school, I had never seen old houses at that point except for my uh, remodeling in Pittsburgh growing up. So I didn't see how those houses lasted. I only saw them for a, a few months after they were completed. Uh, whereas when you go in and remodel and uh, mess with old homes, you can really see how they last or don't last and get a good gauge for that. Uh, and I think an interesting side story on this would be, um, were old houses built better before than they are today? Uh, would you jump into that for one second before we get back to the building science? Yeah, I wouldn't say they were built better. I would say because of their lack of efficiency, they were far more forgiving than they are today, right? That's when you look at some of the buildings that uh, 
that have lasted, they they've taken control of a number of things, but they're not very efficient, right? Mm-hmm. Like you you could go into an old church in Norway that's was built in I don't know 1100 out of wood. It's still standing. It still looks good, but you probably don't want to sleep in there at night through the winter, mm-hmm. right? Because yep. it's going to be freezing cold. But the reality is is that you know those things stay up because they had the ability for sound building science to work with the building in a in a more natural way now one of the things that we've done is that we're trying to take control and in your definition i love it but the cliff notes to your definition is predictable control mm, right that's, really that's why we build houses that's because right. we want predictable control and the minute we infuse that predictable control we try and battle mother nature right when it's 90 degrees out or 100 degrees out in austin we want it 72 degrees and you know 60 percent rh inside yep and and we want to lay down on the couch and watch tv and be very comfortable we don't want to be sweating and all of that so we we're trying to manipulate mother nature's rules where the older buildings were more forgiving but they've they played a much uh a, a, a stronger a game of alignment with mother nature mm-hmm. than we do now. That's right. I think that forgiveness term is one that uh, can't be understated that uh, new buildings have much less forgiveness than old buildings. And I, and I was speaking to a group of uh, people recently, I went to the humid climate conference here in Austin yeah. and I, and I was in a crowd of people that was very similar to me building higher performance houses and, one thing in particular we do in Texas to increase the performance of a house is go to a conditioned attic, meaning all of the attic space is part of the conditioned envelope of the house. So instead of the insulation being at the um, ceiling line in uh, the air barrier being, let's say, the ceiling drywall of the second floor, now we've brought the air barrier and the insulation up to the roof line. And that's a pretty common tactic for Texas because we don't have basements. We don't have great places for mechanicals except for attics. So we do this. But when we do that, we get rid of the vented attic. And vented attics have served us so well over the years because if you had a roof leak with a vented attic, you might never know it because it would it would leak a little bit and it would dry because after the rain would, would stop, the sun would come out and bake that roof with tons of uh, radiant energy to dry out whatever leak may be happening there and get air from the eaves and through the ridge. But in a house built with more modern standards, with more modern codes, uh, with more modern building techniques, you have less forgiveness. You have less ability to make mistakes and not get caught with your pants down. Yeah. I mean, building science today, you, you have to kind of approach it with the ability that you could still ask for forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? And the, the, what I'm trying to get at is, is, let's say we build a wall. It's, it's very naive to think, oh, water's not going to get in there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to build this thing. It's going to, this house is going to be like a boat. Water will never get in there. Yep. No, that's a, a very naive approach. The approach should be is I am going to give my best effort to not get water in here. But should water get in here, it has the ability to dry here, here, and drain out here. That's right. It's uh and, one of my favorite quotes is this guy, David, David Nicastro, which is based here in Austin. 
And David Nicastro says, it's not about keeping water out. It's about letting water out. And that, yeah. that goes exactly to your point, Steve, is when we put a cladding on a house, we call it this fancy name called rain screens. But really what it means is just what you're talking about is, hey, if water gets in, we need a pathway for that water to get out. And so we'll use uh, various methods to put some kind of gap, maybe a real small gap. Um, maybe it's just some crinkly house wrap. Maybe it's a, a one by four batten that gets installed and then you're siding. Maybe it's old school and it's brick where there's a one inch air gap behind the brick. But having some forgiveness with that cladding is really, really smart. And I also do that with my roofs. Whenever I put a metal roof on a house, I put that on an air gap on top of my sheathing so that if any water gets past the metal, there's going to be a pathway for drainage and drying behind that. And, you know, it's funny. I, t I just thought of this. So what a, one of the one of the problems with our industry and and i've said it for years and i'm trying to figure out a way to best um bring this level of education to the industry and we're and we're trying here at the build show network which i think is uh, a really good thing but the problem is is that not so much getting the answers it's understanding what questions to ask mm -hmm. that that comes the challenge. So let's play the, uh, you know, I just got, I'm an architect. I just got out of school and somebody wants me to design a million dollar house for them. What do I do? Right. So going back to that basic house that you were talking about that has worked forever, but what wasn't very energy efficient or so when, when you're designing this house for that client, let's just say, okay, we're going to do a two by four wall. We're going to do plywood sheathing and we're going to put siding on the outside of it. Mm -hmm. That house would be very successful, right? But let's say now we have to add insulation to that wall. So how are we going to add that insulation? Well, we can put it outside the studs and under the plywood, or we could put it over the plywood, or we can put it in the cavity. Let's put it in the cavity. Now, before we make any more suggestions to that wall, we need to stop and ask our uh, ask a series of questions. What dynamics did we change to that wall before we put the insulation in, right? Totally. If, if we say, okay, we've limited some drying because there's gonna be less energy flowing through that wall, but it's still okay, it can dry to the outside, it can dry to the inside. All right, let's put drywall on the inside face of that wall. What dynamic did we change? Let's put a, a building wrap on the outside of the plywood now. What dynamic did we change? Let's put spray foam in the cavity instead of cavity insulation. What dynamic did we change? And so trying to understand what those dynamics are and how we change that wall, because every decision is going to affect the wall. Yep. Right. Especially based on, on your definition that it's, it's basically the science of things in building. So, the minute I build something and I alter it, then I've changed the variables in the equation. So the solution to that equation is now something different. And I have to make sure that along the way, I haven't screwed it up. And uh, it's it's very important to ask those questions. It's like a, another example is when, when you pull out a cock gun or a piece of tape, I always tell people, don't ask yourself, what am I sealing out? That's the easy question. Yeah. The question should be, if water gets in, or if I put this bead of caulk along there, what am I sealing in? What, what dynamic to that wall am I changing by adding that bead of caulk? Um, am I sealing, some, if water gets in 
Am I sealing it in? I mean, materials usually don't fail. I've investigated literally hundreds and hundreds of buildings and, you know, materials very, very rarely fail. It is the application, the execution um, that is really the, the problem or lack of knowledge well, that's in, a in asking the right questions. That's for sure. So then, Steve, how does that young 20-something architect who's just getting out of school, how do they learn about building science? And what can we give them today, which is kind of the intro to that building science? I mean, Build Show Network is a good start, right? Um, might as well plug our, our own uh, yeah. backyard. We're talking but, about uh, we, have a, we have a lot of great people that are talking. I mean, I, I've never done it, but if we have added up the experience on the Build Show Network itself, we got a few hundred years Boy, that's for sure. worth of experience talking about what to do. Um, Building Science Corporation. You know, I was their first employee. I worked there. I worked for the master, Joe. And, and, and Joe... You know, one of the things that I, I always compliment Joe on is, is he is definitely one of the smartest people I've ever met. Uh, and, you know, there's no better no better mind in building science. But Joe's biggest success in my eyes is his ability to make the information relatable to anybody. Mm, right. Yes. We would walk in a building. Joe would know what the problem is when we were walking in there. And uh, he'd ask a few questions, but then, you know, li listening to him and standing by his side when he was explaining something was the priceless event Yes, of hanging out with him. A hundred percent. And, uh, and, and the other thing too, that I think is a huge, uh, I won't say misconception, but let's just call it a mistake for lack of a better term coming to mind is that a lot of people think building science is an application to building. And it's like, oh, I'm going to build a house. Well, let's add some good building science features. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Did, did you hear the first 60 seconds of this podcast? <laughs> you're, already, you're already doing building science. Yeah, there, right. We don't have to add it. Oh. What we have to do is clarify and build upon the building and science that's already there. And what I mean by that is building science is never an application. And the minute you treat it as an application to what you're doing or think that, you're going to fail. You have to see building science as an integral part to the design process. That's right. And you have to ask those questions up front, not later. I mean, when the wall is leaking or the window is leaking, that's not the time to ask late. about what, what kind of flashing should we have used at the sill? No, that's not the time to think about that. 100%. And, and the thing that, uh, that I would piggyback on what you're saying too, Steve, is that it's not just the gee whiz, it's the, it's the understanding. So it's not, should I build an ICF house or should I build a wood frame house or should I build a straw bale house? It's let's understand the house, the, the climate the house is going to be in, the architecture, and then we can talk about what's the best uh, building envelope for what the goals for the house are in your budget and all those other things. Because ultimately, every building envelope is really just three functional roles, right? And, I, and I'm, I'm literally stealing this from Building Science Corporation's uh, talks, but they, they, uh, Joe will talk about the envelope, the, the walls, the roof, the, the uh, crawl space, the basement, these things that can comprise the outer envelope 
really just have three roles, right? We have a support role. So if it's a wood frame building, the, the two by fours are supporting the structure so it doesn't fall down. And then outboard of the wood, there's some type of control layer. This is stopping the rain, the air, the vapor transmission, and uh, there's uh, a control layer that controls heat flow. And then outboard of that, there's some protection. Uh, the protection might be the siding, it might be the brick, it might be the roofing material, it might be whatever's on the outside of the house, which also is the look and the feel of the house. But each one of those three functional roles of the house, support, control, and protect, we need to get those right, uh, and we need to build a house so that it can actually control what is happening outside. Because ultimately, houses are just environmental separators, right? We're separating the inside from the outside. And to your point, I love how you talk about this gaining of control. I've heard you talk about this on multiple occasions. All we're trying to do is gain control over things. And if we don't build a house very well, we're not going to have control, whether that's control of heat flow, meaning our house is really cold in the winter. We might have not have control of the airflow, meaning our houses is pretty are pretty leaky. And if we really mess up and don't get control of the rain, whether it's uh, groundwater or whether it's rain from the sky or rain on our windows, we're really in trouble. <laughs> That's the one that warrants the phone call in the middle of the night to the builder. Yeah, I mean, water's the it's the number one killer of buildings. If if you're a young builder or architect, you know, when I, I give you an example as as a young architect, if you build a SketchUp model, say to look at the aesthetics to show your clients. You should also be looking at that SketchUp model and saying, where does the rain go? Mm-hmm. When this roof fills up with water, where does the water go? Yep. And if you can trace all the raindrops coming off of that roof and successfully place them somewhere that doesn't affect your building, then you have a successful water management strategy to that structure. But if yep. you can't do that, then you need to figure it out because when it's built is not the time to figure it out. That's for sure. And I, uh, I gave a presentation recently where I was kind of talking about my history with understanding building science and how I'd built for many years before I even heard that term. Uh, and in Portland, Oregon, where I built in uh, the early 2000s, I was a young builder. I was 30 years old. I'd just moved to Portland after working for a production builder. And all of a sudden, the national mold crisis happened where, uh, you know, Tom Brokaw on the National News was talking about sick buildings and mold and people's uh, kids that were allergic to black mold. Uh, And we'd just gotten sued by several people for mold. And I'd also built some houses, uh, our company had built some houses with EFIS, um, which is basically a a fake stucco that's applied on top of uh, uh, foam on the outside of the house. But it's originally was not, didn't have very good building science detailing. It wasn't very forgiving because it, the foam was applied right over OSB sheet. Well, and, and there's that key word, right? The the EFIS the system is an applied strategy, not an integrated strategy. Yes, exactly. And so I learned very early on that I needed to understand how buildings were built and how they reacted and how they controlled or didn't control uh, the rain, the vapor, the thermal, the, uh, the air that was interacting with them. Uh, and so I, I had this kind of background in the early 2000s and was and felt like I kind of had a pretty good handle on building science, but I was building traditional houses. All those houses in Portland had, you know, two-foot overhangs. 
uh, were traditional architecture. So I moved to Austin, Texas in 2005. I'd only been building traditional looking architecture. I had a little bit of a swagger, like I thought I understood things. And one of my very first houses was a flat roof house with parapet walls uh, that I thought, oh, I got this, you know, how hard can this be? Uh, and here it is now, 2007, and I'm um, bidding it out and my clients uh, really nailing me on getting the lowest price. And I ended up taking the lowest price roofer out of the three roofing bids who had also not done a flat roof before, like I had never done. He didn't tell me this. He also had never put a scupper in before. And if you don't know what a scupper is, a, a parapet wall is, is like the wall that goes above the roof on a flat roof. Uh, and a scupper is the hole that's in that wall that allows that water to, uh, to go out. So here I had an inexperienced roofer with a low bid. And sure enough, my very first real modern house, it leaked like a friggin' sieve. Uh, and, uh, it would, didn't take long before the homeowner was emailing me and calling me in the middle of the night about their leaks <laughs> and their problems in their house. Uh, and yeah, so, sooner or later, someone has to pay for it, right? It's man. a question of, do you pay up front or do you pay afterwards? I, I can't help but think it's like, you know, getting the right person for the job is so important in 100%. what we do. Yep. And, and, uh, and I pay you know, for that for, for, for the, yeah, for, for the clients that say, oh, let me get the lowest price or, you know, anybody can do that. That's like saying, uh, you know, let, let me go into the orchestra and take the drummer and just have him play the tuba this evening. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're, you're not going to have the same kind of music. No, nope. I can almost guarantee it. So you, you have to have the right person executing for you 100%. and there's a, a price to pay. And that's, you know, that's one of the big problems with this industry is that, the minute we post anything, you know, the first thing is, well, how much did that cost? How much mm -hmm. a square foot is that? Mm -hmm. And if we, I, I understand that, you know, we all want to make money. We all want to keep it. We all need to buy things and it, it matters, but there's a certain cost to building a house. And the numbers that we use as the baseline are horrific at, at best. Oh, that and so you me. compare it to that and you say, wow, we're building for, you know, $200 a square foot out here. Okay. We, we can't touch that in new England. I have, and you probably can't touch that in Austin either. I have a quote, uh, from you in my, uh, in my notes, Steve, on that exact topic. <laughs> Do you mind if I quote you for a minute? No, go ahead, buddy. My buddy, Steve one. basic architect says it's not that high performance houses cost too much. It's that our idea of a fairly priced new home is based on a history of building houses that meet embarrassingly low performance benchmarks. I love that quote from you, Steve. That is so well, it's, true. It's it's like me going to the car dealership and wanting a, a new Mercedes. And I the guy says, oh, you know, that's X amount of dollars. And I say, oh, that's really expensive. He goes, well, not for a Mercedes. And I go, well, I can go over and get a Hyundai for 12 grand. Well, yeah, of course you can. You know, a Mercedes is going to cost a lot more uh -huh. than Hyundai, but they're a totally different product. Yeah. But the problem is our world sees both those cars as having steering wheels uh, and having four wheels, and that's as far as they can see. And that's ultimately what happens with home buyers and houses all the time is they look at resale values of houses and, oh, this house down the street sold for uh, $200 a, a square foot. Well, first of all, is that per square foot of HX space or is that per square foot of 
under roof, right? Because when I build you a house, I don't just build your HVAC space. I also build your unfinished spaces, maybe your basements. I build your garages. I build your front and back porches. I build all these other things. And so you can't base the cost of new construction based on resale values. And secondly, the house that we're going to build for you is going to be so dramatically different from the house that's being built down the street by someone else who doesn't put care and thought into these things that it's a Hyundai versus a Mercedes conversation. Yeah. And people, people need to realize that. And, you know, more so builders need to realize that too, um, that you can't just substitute this material and, Oh, well, we can save a thousand bucks if I go to a perforated house wrap or something. Um, you know, it's not, it, 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 again, it's asking the right questions. What, what dynamics change mm -hmm. if I move in that direction? Yes. What, what changes, what more risk. And the, the thing that really baffles me, I mean, I'm, I'm not a builder, but the thing that baffles me is some of these builders are willing to sharpen their pencil to such a level to get a job that they put themselves at an all time high risk. Boy, that's for sure. And it's like, Oh, let me let me let me put myself as close to the edge of the cliff, mm -hmm. and then let me turn on a high speed wind fan, and then try and balance on the edge because that's <laughs> what you're trying to do. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know what we got to do, Steve? You know it would be really fun. I think uh, you should come into Austin for a couple days, and in this studio space, we ought to we ought to record and and uh, probably between your and I's past presentations, we could put this together pretty quickly. Matthew Guthrie and our team could probably help us produce this. We should record like a five to eight hour building science 101 uh, presentation. It's really intended for the 30 year old Matt Reisinger to watch or the 25 year old Steve Basic uh, mm -hmm. to watch or uh, the homeowner who wants to build or buy a custom home and wants to get educated or the young builder or even the old builder who wants to really sit down and learn building science, but hasn't had the opportunity to come see you and I speak for a full day on that topic. Or the old curmudgeon 60-year-old builder that really needs a foot in his butt. <laughs> There's a couple you know, of those out there, too. Let me tell you about a, a really great experience I had just this last week. I was in um, Indiana talking with a builder. The, the dad, his three sons work for, for with him. Mm -hmm. So I find that extremely commendable. He's been building for over 30 years. And in my chat with him, he's, he basically said, he goes, Steve, I'm close to retiring and it really doesn't matter anymore what we do. I want to make sure that I get my boys on the right track hmm. and that they're, we're setting this, this next generation up for the proper direction to become successful builders. And that's why we want to, you know, bring you in on these projects and work with you on this. And that's so I just cool. thought, man, not not only is he a good builder with a mind, but what a great dad, right? Mm -hmm. He's setting up his three sons, putting them in a position for success to take over the company. And he can just fade away knowing in confidence that his boys are all set up. Man, that's really cool. I love to hear that. I love to hear that. Uh, Steve, I think we ought to uh, make this a little bit shorter. Uh, so I'm going to X out a couple things that I was going to ask you. But uh, as we talk about, as I mentioned that story about um, uh, about that house that I built early on that didn't have any overhangs, I'm reminded of a slide that I've seen from Building Science Corporation before. 
uh, and I wonder if you know anything about this. Uh, it was a uh, survey, I think, of Canadian houses, and uh, based on how many pro- how many walls those houses had problems with, and what was the overhang on those walls. And uh, I wish I wish this was a live video. We could show you the slide, but basically, uh, it's a bar chart that shows. If the house had no overhang, how many walls that were opened up and houses with an overhang had problems? And the bar chart chart shows like 90% of the walls that are opened up on houses with no overhang, they found some problems. Some window had a leak, uh, some hose bibs, wherever. They found problems in like 90% of the walls that were opened up on houses with no overhangs. Houses with short overhangs, uh, like an inch to 12 inches, uh, the number on here is 67% of those walls had problems. Houses that had uh, 12 to 24-inch overhangs, half had problems. And I also think this might be houses that are like two stories with a one-foot overhang, right? You know, a two-story right. house with a one-foot overhang has basically no overhang on the first floor because those walls are getting totally wet. Even the slightest amount of wind yeah. And those droplets aren't coming. A sliding down. glass door in a two-story house was the number one problem for production home builders oh, in building. For sure, it leaks like a sieve. And then houses on this survey that had overhangs bigger, twenty-four inches or larger, only twenty-seven percent of them had problems in those walls. And and I don't know the full uh, story behind this. This is a slide that I'd seen Joe in a presentation, and I stole it off their website at one time. But it really showed me that. You know, the the more unforgiving you're building, the better you better understand building science. And that does actually relate quite a bit to my production builder days in the 90s. Those houses were uh, all at least two foot overhangs. There was zero flat roofs. There was zero uh, avant-garde or modern architecture, 100% traditional, you know, northeast looking architecture, uh, all vented attics. They weren't the best builder in the world. They weren't energy efficient. They weren't well built. But what they had on their side was uh, built in forgiveness, as you talked about earlier. Yeah. You know, we're very fortunate here in New England. um, But young architects and builders, what I suggest is drive through some of the old neighborhoods and look at some of these old houses Mm -hmm. and understand why that bungalow from, you know, 1955 still looks so damn good. Right. There's reasons. Ask yourself those questions. Where does the water go? Yeah. When it falls on this roof, what happens to it? Totally. Um, You know, what happens to those windows? do they see water if they do where does the water go all these questions and you'll you'll become a building science expert pretty damn quick yeah you will the the funny thing is is you know we we tend to make building science out to be this phd level association of knowledge and you know it really isn't water falls on your building get rid of it it's that damn simple that's right right drain it out down and out get rid of it it's not we don't need bar charts and spreadsheets to figure this stuff out and then once you deal with water uh then what water's your number one enemy once we figured out the water and we've gotten that off our buildings then really number two most important is air and then vapor and then thermal and uh to close us out on that point uh i would uh Uh, remind the listeners if they've seen a video at all with Steve and our mutual friend, Jake Bruton, 
Uh, they've probably seen the video where these two guys are out in front of Jake's house cutting a Yeti cooler in half. Do you y'all remember watching this video? I was at the Hot Human Conference yesterday and someone brought this up to me. And they said to me, Matt, I really appreciated seeing that video of those two doofuses cutting a $500 cooler in half because it really uh, opened a light bulb in my mind like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Like the reason why a Yeti works so well is just two things, continuous insulation all the way around that Yeti and really good air sealing. And you guys cutting that thing in half and showing there's nothing secret in here. It's just some closed cell foam. But look at that closed cell foam, totally continuous, and then a rubber gasket that smashes down against itself when you put those terrible latches that I have a hard time getting my 10-year-old to open to get me a beer. They work really darn well at air sealing. And I love yeah. that visual of you guys cutting that thing open because once we get water down, then the next thing is just really air sealing and thermal. And and to take that video, I mean, some somewhere I under I, I can picture the Yeti engineer sitting there and saying, "Okay, I put ice in this box. What do I have to worry about? Mm -hmm. Well, I have to worry about thermal transfer through the walls, and I have to wear, worry about air transported um, leakage that's going to bring warm air into this box and melt my ice. That's so right. how do I co combat those two events? And you just said it." problem solved it, it really isn't rocket science no it's really really easy it's building science and and to wrap this up i would say to those listeners out there uh, by thinking about this by uh, understanding some building science and really applying this knowledge to your buildings here's the roadmap for you here's what you can expect uh, as a result of that it's just it's really four things number one you're going to end up building better homes. You're going to build houses that are healthier than what you've done in the past and then probably what your competitors and certainly what your clients have lived in in the past. You're going to build houses that are more durable, that are going to be lasting, that are not going to have problems. You're going to build houses that are more comfortable. It's one of the things that I think uh, Steve really enlightened me to many years ago is that when you build a better house, you build a much more comfortable house. And that's how you need to sell things to your clients. Now you also are going to make as a result of this a more energy efficient house. But I would tell you that energy efficiency only sells so much. Like you don't ever see a Tesla ad touting how efficient a Tesla is. You see Tesla ads that are lifestyle and you see Tesla ads that are comfort and coolness, right? And that's what we need to sell to our clients, right? Now they might have efficiency mm -hmm. with that, but trying to make the case where you're going to save $100 a month compared to your old house and, oh, by the way, I forgot you have seven plasma TVs that you keep on all the time. It's just really hard to make a payback case on efficiency. But you can definitely make a case for today's buyers for comfort and health. And for you as the builder, durability is a big one for you and for your clients. And efficiency is a byproduct of all these things. So that's number one on that roadmap to the future when you integrate building science. Number two for me as a builder, it's going to reduce my warranty costs. It's going to reduce my callbacks. And number three, it's going to reduce my potential for litigation issues, right? I'm really going to reduce that litigation potential down because remember- Well, in number four that comes with that, it's going to reduce any black cloud on your reputation. That's number four was reputation. <laughs> you, got you, go. you got it. Reputation, which I would also say is 
totally tied to and hand in hand with referrals, right? When was the last time, Steve, you put an ad in the paper that said, hey, are you designing a house? Call me, Steve Basic. Yeah. You are you are 100% on reputation and referral, right, Steve? Mm -hmm. And really, I am as well. Now, you and I make videos and put ourselves out there for the public, um, which helps. But really, the main reason why we get new jobs, new architecture, new building is because of referrals and reputation. And by understanding building science and implementing these concepts that you learn into your buildings to keep your, your buildings out of trouble, your clients out of trouble, and to build better buildings, you're going to get those four things as a result. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, you know, that, that, that comes along with that, I do a lot of work with Jake and, you know, I, I use him as an example because Columbia, Missouri is not a thriving metropolis, mm -mm. right? It's, no. it's, it's not LA, it's not Chicago or Boston, but he gets a handful of clients a year that comes to him and says, I want you to build the house and I want Steve to design. How cool is that? And you, you don't even have to go through any kind of bidding war, not, you, nothing. Mm -hmm. It's these people realize this is, I, I want my dream home and I want it to be a dream project. I want these two guys to do it. So awesome. And, and you hit on something that I, did, I wouldn't even, I didn't even thought about, but I think that's number five on the list. No more bidding. I haven't bid on a project since 2008 or nine. I think was the last time I, I entered into a, uh, a situation where I had other builders giving a price on a project besides me. Yeah. I haven't bid on anything in, in uh, at least a dozen years now. I do everything on a professional services agreement. And that's because so, I do these things and I'd recommend them for you as well as a listener. So I, I know we got to go. I'm going to leave all the, the young builders out there with, it's somewhat advice, but it's more a challenge and a question. You sit back tonight and you ask yourself, do I want to be the builder that is the cheapest in my market and absolutely go nuts and have to deal with clients and all of these, these challenges that come along with sharpening my pencil to the nth degree or do I want to develop my company so that I am the builder when somebody saves up their money and wants to build their dream house, I'm the only call they make? Yeah, 100%. 100%. The latter. <laughs> I can yeah. tell you right now. Steve, I really appreciate your time, my friend. Oh, I always learn something when I'm around you. And uh, I, I need to uh, go back and listen to this and write down a couple quotes. There's a couple more quotes from you that I need to add on to my uh, quotes list, the Steve Basic quotes list. There you go. Uh, and listeners, stay tuned. Steve and I actually have in the works a building science uh, video series. So hopefully we'll get that. Uh, in the studio here in 2022 so we can get that out to you before too long yeah uh, in and the meantime stay though, tuned we're doing a bunch of great stuff this year i, I mean there's, there's so much going on but in the meantime though follow steve on instagram at steve basic architect and for sure if you haven't already subscribe to our newsletter because steve is shooting videos every week at his job sites and he often starts at the job site and ends up back at the studio with uh, a big sharpie uh, who's now a character on his show uh, Got it right here. called Big, Big Red. Red. <laughs> and Steve is not just showing you job sites and talking about it. Steve is showing you his actual details. So if you're an arch young architect, listen to this, or an old architect, you want to see a really smart architect who's willing to show you his details and how he comes up with those details and talks you through those details. 
That's Steve Basic every week over on BuildShowNetwork.com. I, I was flattered. Was it maybe a week ago? I was chatting with an architect online, and he said he makes all of his employees watch my videos. That's so awesome, dude. You are a gem in our industry, my friend. And a little, a little behind-the-scenes personal on Steve. He has two of his children that are architects. Uh, Alexandra, who's his daughter, who's now graduated uh, and is working with Steve in the practice. So at some point, you need to change your name to Basic Architects or something like yep. that. Uh, and then he's got a son who's still uh, in school, finishing up. So it won't, be, year. it won't be long before there's three Basics uh, in the office uh, all working together. And, and that is a, every dad's dream right there. I would absolutely be thrilled yeah, to have my a, kids join me. It's a me great day pretty awesome but thank you for all you do steve in our industry go check out steve's videos over on buildshownetwork.com sign up for that newsletter so you don't miss it and the other builder that we mentioned a couple times on this uh, that steve works with a lot is a guy named jake bruton uh out of columbia missouri uh and jake's what's his instagram handle i can't remember steve is it uh, jake it's bruton? uh jake bruton uh yeah i think it's just jake bruton or jake bruton at arrow building yeah i think it's at jake bruton anyways for it uh, Jake Bruton. Look him up too. Great, great builder, uh, who's who's doing most of his projects with uh, with Steve. Yeah, it's just Jake Bruton. Jake Bruton. There you go. All right, guys. If you're not currently a subscriber, hit that subscribe button below. We're dropping new podcasts every single Friday. We're on season two. We're having a lot of fun here, and of course, we've got ten new videos a week over on BuildShowNetwork.com with some amazing contributors. Steve's our only architect. Uh, we've got a couple other builders and remodelers, and we've added some tradespeople as well. I've got Eric Ani, who's a mechanical contractor up in Minnesota. We've got Lydia uh, Crowder, who's in Bozeman, Montana, who's a drywall contractor. And we've got a uh, remodeling contractor who's fairly new as well, Zach Detmore out of New Jersey. So we've got some really, really good contributors that are sharing their wealth of information over on Build Show Network. With that being said, thank you, Steve, for joining us. Hit that subscribe you, button. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on The Build Show.